Well, good morning, Impact. That's okay. It's all right. You know, you can be a little more enthusiastic. I know they took Heinz off of Heinz Field, but you can still be enthusiastic, right, at church. Good morning, Impact. That's a little better. That's a little better. It's great to be with you this morning. So glad that I get to, the opportunity to worship with you. Uh, you know, as Dale said, I used to lead a church in the area for like 16 years. Uh, started that church up in Cranberry. And then about five years ago, a transition to go uh, work for an organization called Stadia. And uh, uh, Impact has been a great uh, partner of Stadia over the last several years. We uh, worked together to establish a new church in Brazil a couple of years ago. And uh, Bill and I have been talking a lot about the different churches in the region that we can work on together. And there's been about five or six new churches in the last five years just in the Pittsburgh area. And so God is doing a lot of good stuff in the region. And uh, Bill's been a friend of mine for about 20 years. So I've known him quite a while. Uh, just a good man. And I just want to say, you know, I get to speak at a lot of different churches and I get to, you know, be around a lot of different churches. And I just want you to know, the last couple of years, the pandemic, everything going on, I just don't know that I know a leader who's done as well of a job uh, leading a church during a difficult season. And so I just think you are really fortunate to have Bill leading you. So let's give him a hand. All right. You know, a couple weeks ago, you kicked off this series where you're looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and you began by looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are such a practical area to learn about how Jesus wants us to live this life. It's counter to the way the world thinks, and the Beatitudes kind of point that out. And then last week, another Tony, you should just have a whole series of Tonys speaking, that's what I think. But last week, uh, you, you covered the uh, passage of salt and light, the importance of being a witness to the world around us, which is a really important message in the world that we live in today. But to, this morning, I get to take a peek at one of my absolute favorite parts of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this section of Scripture is also often referred to as the but statements. These are the statements that, you know, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said long ago, but I'm going to tell you there's a different way right? This transitionary statement. And because I'm really just a big junior high boy at heart, I've really always just referred to this section as the big butts of the Bible, all right? I cannot lie, all right? This is, this is the section that I'm talking about this morning, okay? Because this, this word, I know, I know, it's, it's all right. They can't, what are they going to do? I'm, I'm a visitor. Are you going to kick me out? That's all right. I'll be fine, all right? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at this passage this morning, and no one really ever used this word but as powerfully, but with one T, as Jesus. He used it really powerfully. Uh, one of the most important words in the language that we have to use. Because the, the word but can change everything. It can change something from better to worse or vice versa. It's a powerful word. And no one used it in a bigger way than Jesus. Jesus would say, you have heard it was said to never do certain things. But... I'm going to tell you there's a different way you should be thinking. It's the way of Jesus. There's a different way. Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said when someone does something to you, this is what you're supposed to do back to them. And Jesus said, but there's a different way you need to be thinking. It's not that way. There's a better way. His way. And you have to use the brain that God gave you to think about how you should respond. And so we're going to begin, we're going to dive right into this section this morning. We're going to take a look at this section of Scripture beginning in Matthew 5.33. It can be kind of a complicated passage, 
little bit difficult to understand. So let me just see if we can get at what Jesus is really talking about here, okay? I'm going to put it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. This is how Jesus starts this section. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Every time he says that, he's referring to an old saying or a law or something like that that everyone followed. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Now that sounds pretty good to me. And then Jesus says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or, or, uh, uh, either by heaven for it is, uh, for the Lord, uh, where did I go? By heaven, I'm just going to turn around, it's easier. Again, you've heard that it was said that the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Don't we know that, right? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's confusing to me, because the first part made sense, right? It made sense. Why does it matter to Jesus that people swear by heaven? What difference does that make? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I never swear by heaven. I don't swear by earth. I don't swear by Jerusalem. I don't even swear by my head. So I'm pretty good. We don't need to talk about this, Tony, because I don't ever do that kind of thing. Well, here's the deal. Over the years, people have taken this passage very literally. And as a result they've kind of considered it as a rule against ever taking any type of oath at all. And so as a result, they will not go into the military, they won't testify in court, or do anything that requires oath-taking at all. But is that, is that really what Jesus is talking about? Because that doesn't really make sense to me. Jesus here is actually showing us his way, and it's a different way. It's different than what everyone had been thinking at that time. And what he's doing here is he's contrasting that with the conventional wisdom of that day, the laws back in that day. You see, religious people in Jesus' day liked to make promises that they never really intended to keep. And they would use oaths and legal jargon to kind of get around the truth and make it look like they were honest when they really weren't. They didn't want to be figured out, so they kind of manipulated the situation. That doesn't happen in our day at all, right? What Jesus is actually saying here is that if we are asked to do something, just simply say yes or no. Don't try to create this entire manipulative system so that you can lie and look like you're not really lying because that's what was going on. And that's what Jesus is trying to address. Anybody with kids in the room or grandkids, they are masters at this, am I right? They give oaths all the time. You'd be like, you can do this if you clean your room. Oh, I'll clean my room. I promise, I promise. They have no intention of cleaning their room, let's be honest, and they don't get around to it, right? That would be an oath. I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I don't see a lot of people walking around with needles in their eye. This is not happening, okay? I swear on a stack of Bibles. This is the kind of thing that was going on in Jesus' day. They would find ways to try to convince the people they were talking to that they were honest when they were really 
stretching the truth or flat out lying. And Jesus is kind of fed up with this kind of legalistic way of doing things where legally you're probably okay, but truthfully you're not being honest. And Jesus is saying here, that's not the way I do things. You see, every culture has lying. That's why every culture has oaths and promises. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said, oaths actually give evidence of lying. Because <laughs> if you didn't lie, you wouldn't need oaths, right? We've got to prove that we're being honest, because we all know we're not. As Christians, though, shouldn't we be the most trustworthy people on the planet? We represent Jesus. And you know what? Every time a politician or, or someone in government or you or I professes to be a Christian and then they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then they go on to manipulate that truth, man, it so breaks my heart. Not because of that person, but because what it does to the name of Jesus. It degrades his name, and it happens so often in our culture. People profess the name of Jesus. I'm a Christian, and then they go on to do just horrible things in Jesus' name. And we all should be mindful of that. I could spend an entire message on this big butt. It's a big one, right? We could spend all day here. However, we need to keep moving on in our text. And so you'll actually next week continue in these but statements and you're going to walk through them and you're going to address the honesty a couple more times as you walk through them. But the bottom line is this. Just be honest and let your yes be yes and your no be no. No spin. No spin. All right? Now beyond the words that we say is an entire section on how we're supposed to act like Jesus. And here's the problem with saying that you're a Christian. Eventually, you're going to have to start acting like Jesus or no one is going to believe you. Right? That's the problem with saying you're a Christian. Eventually, you're going to have to start acting like Jesus or no one's going to buy it. No one's going to buy it. And so as we continue in this section of but statements, we come to a section that is often misunderstood often misapplied. It's in a section where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. Again, I can't help but giggle because I brought up the big butt thing and now we're talking about turning the other cheek. I'm sorry, but the junior, junior high boys in the room are all giggling, so I feel good about that, all right? But that's what we're gonna look at, this idea of turning the other cheek, okay? And when Jesus says this phrase, turn the other cheek, we think he's saying, if someone hits you, don't withdraw, don't attack, just stand there and take it. Is that what he's saying? Is what it sounds like he's saying? It's not really what he's saying, okay? Let's begin uh, the conventional wisdom of the day Jesus addresses. This is what he says, Matthew 5, 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, everybody believes this, everybody knows this, this is where everybody's coming from, everybody practices this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's pause there for a second. Who would write that? I don't know about you, but that sounds really barbaric to me. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's go. Right? Sounds a little barbaric. Well, it actually comes from the Old Testament. It's in the Bible. This was a law given by God to the Hebrew people as soon as they came out of slavery as they were wandering in the desert. And it's all over the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus. It's in Exodus. It's in Deuteronomy. It's all over the place. 
And so when God gave this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you have to remember who he was giving it to and when he was giving it to them, all right? This is a group of people that had never had any laws or systems or government. They'd just come out of bondage of slavery out of Egypt for over 100 years, and, and they didn't have any structure. And so crazy things were going on. Someone robbed you, and we killed all your family, right? Whoa, it's a little, it's a little lopsided, right? The, the, the crime and the punishment were not equitable. And so God came into this situation. People were kind of like the Wild West. Things are going crazy in the desert. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Punishment has to fit the crime. And you and I, we, we kind of take that for granted. The punishment should fit the crime. And we know that God is a just God. And so what God is saying here to this group of people thousands of years ago with no form of structure or government or laws, it's got to be commensurate. An eye for an eye. You, you poke someone's eye out, you lose an eye. You knock someone's tooth out, you lose a tooth. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say an eye for two eyes. <laughs> it doesn't say a tooth for a mouthful of teeth. No, God is equitable. God is a God of justice. And that's what he wants. He wants justice, okay? Because God knows something about us. He knows we tend to escalate violence, right? He, we tend to escalate violence over time. He knows what we're prone to. If someone hurts us, we want to retaliate, and we want to hurt them worse. He knows, you know, we don't just want justice. We want revenge, right? We want to make people pay, and we want them to hurt worse than they hurt us. He knows that about us. Let me prove this to you. I want you to, uh, to the person next to you, I want you to pinch the person next to you, okay? Now, hold on. If you don't know the person next to you, don't pinch them. That's how you get arrested. Don't do that, all right? If you know the person next to you, pinch them, please. Do that. Okay? Now, okay, hold on, okay, all right. You're enjoying this way too much. Now I want you to pinch that person back as hard as they pinched you. Not harder, as hard. Go ahead. Okay, no fighting in the back. Just have a fight. It's a message on turning the other cheek. You can't fight back there. All right, okay? We good? Here's what I know. Some of you pinched the other person harder. You did. It's scientific. Our government has actually done research on this. I'm not making this up. I don't know why they did research on this, but they did, and they found that people often will pinch the other person back harder than they were pinched because we have a propensity. We we uh, it's, it's very often that we want to harm people more than they harmed us. It's kind of wired inside of us, right? That's how, that's how we roll, and, and Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. And so he comes along and he says, you know, this mindset that you guys have been operating under for years and years and years, trying not to allow violence to escalate, it's not working so well. You're trying to follow these rules, okay? Here's the deal. But I'm about to change everything for you. And then Jesus lays out another big but. Here's what he says. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he says, but... I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Let me be first say this. Yeah, right. I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? That's great for a fortune cookie, Jesus, but that don't work in my house. Are you kidding me? Someone walks up to me and smacks me, and I'm just supposed to stand there and go, here, hit this side. No, it didn't work for me. Are you kidding me? 
Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what he's saying, okay? That's not what he's saying. You see, this word resist in the original language of the Bible is a military word for enemies that are marching out to stand against another army, okay? Do not resist doesn't mean let them walk all over you or pummel you, okay? It means don't fight somebody like they are fighting you. It's an important distinction. Don't fight somebody the way they were fighting you. This is all over the New Testament, this kind of idea. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it, I think, in a kind of a clearer way, where he says, do not repay evil with what? Evil. We don't fight everybody like the world fights everybody as followers of Jesus. We're different. We are different than that. All right? And here Jesus is saying, if you're going to be, if you're going to follow me, you don't just go into an animal instinct of attack back or run away and hide like an animal. Not at all. Don't be a wuss and run away and don't seek revenge. It's neither of those things. It's actually a third way. It's a different way. Jesus' way is different than everybody else's way. There's a different way. And he says, I want you to follow me. And he gives this example. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now again, this does not mean if someone punches you on one side of the face, you let them punch you in the other. This isn't actually talking about punching or physical violence at all, okay? The best translation of this word strike, it's the word slap. And it's referencing a backhanded slap. That's important. and We'll get to why here in a second. This is a way of intimidating someone. It's a way of belittling someone. It's a way of insulting them, a backhanded slap. Think like 1600s Britain, where they take off their white gloves and <laughs> hit you with it, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here, okay? It's an insult. It's not meant to harm you physically. It's meant to embarrass you. It's meant to belittle you. That's what it's meant to do. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Here's how we know that. Notice Jesus says right cheek. That's important. We know this is a backhanded slap because in that day and age, you could only use your right hand to slap someone in the face. Your right hand was referred to as the clean hand. This is the hand that you would eat with. This is the hand that you would shake someone's hand with. The left hand was the uncleaned hand. It was used for, well, other activities. Pre-Charmin activities, okay? So it was a dirty hand, okay? Speaking of butts of the Bible, this is a dirty hand, okay? And no respectable person would ever use that hand for anything, okay? If someone slapped you with their left hand, it was shameful, not to the person being slapped, but the person doing the, sh the slapping, they would then be seen by the rest of the community as being a horrible individual. They would be shamed for that. That's how we know this is an example of a backhanded slap to insult or intimidate and not injure. And this is really important because Jesus never said if someone was assaulting you physically that you get to let them keep doing it. Let me just say this. If you're in a domestic violence situation at all, you need to get out of there. I don't care how they're using the Bible to twist it around. You should not be physically harmed. And if you are, you need to go out of that relationship and get help, all right? I'm just telling you that now. It's not okay. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. 
Remember, he's not talking about physical, like, like hitting at all. This isn't physicality here. Jesus is talking about insults and belittling. And he offers a third way. This turn the other cheek means that the only way that this person can slap you is with their left hand if you turn the other cheek, which, again, they wouldn't do because it would make them look horrible. So they have to do something else. They have to decide, am I going to hit them with the left hand and everybody's going to think I'm this shameful, horrible person? Or am I going to de-escalate the situation and back away? Restore the dignity. That's Jesus' way. That's Jesus' way. It's completely different. They would have to wrestle with their actions. Turns the tables a little bit. Jesus uses another analogy to provide a third way. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, if someone wants to sue you, they want to, uh, wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, it's important to understand this. In those days, most everybody wore two garments, okay? A tunic, which was like an undershirt, people wore this, and a cloak or an outer garment like a coat. This would protect them from the elements. And so there were rules against suing someone for their coat because that was vital for survival, it's like in our day, if someone declares bankruptcy, you can't just take them out of their house immediately because they have to be able to have shelter in some way, shape, or form. That's kind of what it's talking about. So Jesus is saying if somebody is greedy enough or mean enough to want to take you to court for your shirt, then give them your cloak as well. Just give it to them. Guess why? Because that would leave you standing there buck naked. You would be naked. And in that culture, nakedness was considered shameful, not for the person being naked, as much as the person having a look at the person naked, all right? It's a huge no-no. And so what Jesus is saying here is if they want to take advantage of you, don't get even with them, and don't just do nothing and be a doormat. Find a third way that will cause this person to think about what they're doing. Cause them to wrestle with their next action which might bring shame onto them. Jesus is brilliant. He gives another example of this third way. Look at verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And when Jesus says someone here, everyone that was standing on the side of that mountain during his last, the, the, this big sermon that he was giving, everyone knew who he was talking about when he said someone. He was talking about Roman soldiers. Okay? Everyone got that picture in their mind. Because in that day, Roman soldiers, they didn't have tanks and hum Humvees to ride around in. They had to walk everywhere they went. And when they were walking, they had to carry their gear. And we know from history that these packs could be like 80 pounds. And so if a soldier was walking through your town and they saw you standing there, they could say, hey, you, you got to carry my pack one mile. Drop it on the ground, and no matter what you were doing, you had to pick up that pack and carry it one mile, and then turn around and come back. No matter what you were doing, it was highly inconvenient, it was belittling, they could make you do whatever they wanted to, it was also physically demanding, so everybody knew what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Everybody knew. There was also another law, that the Roman soldier couldn't make you go more than one mile, I don't know why that was, but if a soldier made you go more than one mile, they stood the chance of being court-martialed. They could be punished. It was a big deal. They couldn't do that. And so when Jesus says go the second mile, 
He's saying, you know what? When you go to that mile mark, just keep walking. Just keep going. And I want you to think about the genius of this, all right? Think about what happens. It's a power shift. If you go beyond that first mile and the soldier knows he'll be in trouble, that soldier carrying a sword, the, the person in power, now has to say, hey, bro, could you stop, please? Hey, could you put down that pack, please? Because I'm going to get in trouble, right? It changes the power dynamic. It's like the, the, the ultimate taekwondo move, right? There's this subtle militancy going on here. It's a form of social protest, all right? Jesus saying, my people do not repay hurt for hurt and insult for insult. But they also don't just do nothing either. My people follow a different way, a third way, my way. And so, so far as we've walked through this text, we've seen four scenarios. The truth, a slap, a shirt, and a walk. And in those four scenarios, Jesus is calling us to honest, creative, radical ways of responding to an insult and responding to hurt. Not because it's going to fix everything dramatically all at once, but because we are his people. We don't just represent ourselves. We represent Jesus Christ, king of all kings. It's his reputation that we put at stake every time we react like the rest of the world. Jesus is saying, I have a different way to react. He's asking us to live radically different lives, to go his way. We aren't to be like everyone else who gets violent or, or runs away and hides every time they're insulted or taken advantage of. We're to be people who are different. And so here's our takeaway this morning. It's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. When someone is insulting you or putting you down or taking advantage of you, Jesus is asking you to respond honestly and creatively. Not dishonestly, not violently, not passively, but creatively. Respond in a way that addresses the situation without escalating it and making it worse. If you say you're a Christian, eventually you're going to have to start acting like Jesus and not all the crazy people that live around us. Am I right? That's what needs to happen. If we say we're followers of Jesus, our actions have to resemble his. They just do. I heard a story on NPR a few, a few years ago that really illustrates what we've been talking about today. Now, this is, a, this is a kind of a crazy scenario, a scenario you probably won't ever find yourself in, but I think it highlights the mind of Jesus. It's a story about a guy named Julio Diaz. I want you to check this out. So I get off the train, you know, I'm walking towards the stairs, and this young teenager uh, pulls out a knife. He wants my money, so I just gave him my wallet, told him, here you go. He starts to leave, and as he's walking away, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. So, you know, he's looking at me like, 
what's going on here, you know? And he asked me, well, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, I don't know, man. If you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then I guess you must really need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was go get dinner. And uh, if you really want to join me, hey, you're more than welcome. So I'm like, look, you can follow me if you want. You know, I just felt maybe he really needs help. So, you know, we go into the diner where I normally eat. We sit down in the booth, and the manager comes by, the dishwashers come by, the waiters come by to say hi, you know. So the kid was like, man, but you know everybody here. Do you own this place? I'm like, no, I, I just eat here a lot. He's like, but you're even nice to the dishwasher. I'm like, well, haven't you been taught you should be nice to everybody? So he's like, yeah, but I didn't think people actually behaved that way. So I just asked him in the end, I'm like, you know, what is it that you want out of life? He just had almost a sad face. Either he couldn't answer me or he didn't want to. The bill came, and I look at him, and I'm like, look, uh, I guess you're going to have to pay for this bill because you have my money, and I can't pay for this. So if you give me my wallet back, I'll gladly treat you. He didn't even think about it. He's like, yeah, okay, here you go. So I got my wallet back, and I gave, you know, I gave him $20 for it. You know, I figure uh, maybe it'll help him. I don't know. And... When I gave him the $20, I asked him to give me something in return, which was his knife, and he gave it to me. You know, it's funny because when I told my mom about what happened, you know, no mom wants to hear this, but with her, she was like, well, you know, you're the type of kid that always someone asked you for the time, you gave them your watch. I don't know, I figure, you know, you treat people right, you, ho you can only hope that they treat you right. It's as simple as it gets in this complicated world. That's a powerful story. It's probably not a story you and I are going to engage with every day, and it may not even be prudent, according to most law enforcement people, to engage people that way. But doesn't that sound like Jesus? Restoring someone's dignity in the middle of conflict giving them the opportunity to make a better chant, a choice. It's a big deal. We may not find ourselves at, you know, being mugged in a subway, <laughs> but who is it for you in your life that there are constant run-ins? Someone who belittles you, someone who insults you, there's lots of arguing back and forth, who is it for you? Someone on social media, it's a lot of happening there. Is it your boss, someone you work with? Is it a friend, a neighbor? A relative? Is it someone in your own house? Spouse? Son or daughter? Mom or dad? Who is it for you? Who is most likely to say something or do something that you find insulting or demeaning or hurtful? Who is it that you're constantly stuck in patterns of either attacking them back or running away and hiding? I want you to take a minute right now and think about who this might apply to for you in your life. One more thing, we need to remember while we're thinking of someone, there very easily could be someone else thinking of you. 
maybe not at this exact moment, but theoretically. Because we all hurt other people. We need to quit pretending we're the innocent parties all the time. We're just as guilty as other people. As I was thinking of somebody just now, very easily someone could have been thinking of me. And so maybe you and I need to change the way we treat other people if we want them to treat us differently. Our words and our actions, they represent Jesus himself. And the truth is right now in America, people say they're Christian all the time and they are not representing Jesus very well. Jesus wants us to be people who would respond to hurtful things in a way they would never expect. In ways that make them wonder, what's up with those people? They seem different than everyone else. This is how following Jesus is supposed to be. It's not just saying you're Christian. It's acting like Jesus. So Jesus just didn't talk about this, okay? This isn't some hypothetical third way for Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived his life. The night before Jesus was killed, Jesus stood in front of a group of people, this kangaroo court, this unlawful trial, and he was given this opportunity to lie, get out of everything, but he didn't. Jesus was asked by Pilate, who are you? He could have responded in a way that got him out of the whole thing, got him out of the execution, but he didn't. He simply responded by saying, the reason I'm here is to testify to the truth. Jesus was slapped by the guards. He was beaten by them, frankly, and he turned the other cheek. He could have let them have it. He could have stopped everything, but he didn't. Jesus was forced by the soldiers to walk a very long way, not carrying an 80-pound pack, but a very heavy wooden cross, the very cross they would execute him on. And that's what he did. Then he was stripped naked. They took his shirt and his cloak. Then they gambled for his clothes as he died. And all the while, Jesus knew there's a third way here going on. They don't know yet. Why isn't this man responding the way everyone else would respond? And even one of the Roman soldiers said, that guy is different. I want to follow him. Even one of the thieves on a cross, I want to follow him. See, this third way was not some hypothetical. Jesus lived these scenarios. He lived the truth. He lived the slap, he lived the shirt, he lived the walk. And as a result, he changed the entire world. I don't know what scenarios you've got going in your life, but if you want to flip those around, you've got to think like Jesus, not like yourself, not like the rest of the world. You need to use the brain that God gave you, not to escalate situations, but to de-escalate them allowing people to have their own dignity as you kind of put it back in their court. That's the way of Jesus. We sure could use a lot more like Jesus in our world, don't you think? Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, 
We're so thankful for your Sermon on the Mount. There's so much richness in these passages that we are looking at and are going to continue to look at. Thank you for making them simple. Not easy. They're not easy things to follow, but they're simple to understand. Lord, the last several years have been really difficult. So much anger and hatred, so much belittling and screaming at one another, trying to embarrass each other. It's enough. Father God, help us to look through your eyes as we deal with the conflict in our lives. Help us to choose your way because it's such a better way. And Lord, if we are going to profess to be Christians, remind us that we really do need to start looking like your son, Jesus. Thank you for his example so that we could follow in his steps. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.